Welcome to the Tim Graham Show. The Tim Graham Show. This is Sports Radio 1270. Just not hitting the hole. The fan. I know I'm going to get pimped. They're going to pimp me. Yuck, huh? I love sausage. Shocking. Dizzying. How did this happen? When I bring the lumber, it's all about the hole. Tim Graham Show. I diddled uh, some pole. Uh, over the weekend. Right. Not me so honia. I did have an accident with a menorah. Here we go. On Twitter at 1270, a fan. Wet ball. Taking your calls at 270 1270. What's up, baby? How you doing? Here we go. The Tim Graham Show. When's the last time you read the New Testament, huh? I'm trying to put my junk back in place. You're one of the guys I'm following on Twitter, you know. Uh-oh. I like this guy, uh, Tim Graham. Hello and welcome. Tim Graham Show, 1270 The Fan. No Tim Graham. Veteran Rest Day. Isn't that right, Matthew Fairburn? Well-deserved vet day yeah. for Tim. Sometimes you got to give the vets a day off, keep them fresh. for yes. It's a long season. It's in his contract. Fairburn's got to be here every week. I got to be here every week. Producer Bobby, Bobby Bowie, has <laughs> to be here every week. Also here every day on the Jerry Sullivan Show. But Tim Graham, when he needs it, we give him that time to rest, time to collect his thoughts and come back with all the funny lines and great insightful questions and comments that he normally brings you here on the Tim Graham Show, sponsored by BCTK. CTBK, Jonah. All day I was working on that to make sure I did not get that wrong. CTBK45 on Twitter. It must be something about that chair. It must be. The throne. The Tim Graham throne scrambles your brain. Mergers and acquisitions. CTBK. Handle all those needs for you. CTBK45 on Twitter. Tim Graham show sponsor. All right, Matt. You were out at the Buffalo Bills media day today. 2-0 heading into the home opener. First time the Bills have ever been 2-0 Prior to the home opener, two road wins to open the season. What is your sense on the atmosphere at One Bills Drive, New Era Field, heading into this game against the Bengals on Sunday? It's it's different for sure. I, I mean, two and zero. It doesn't mean a whole lot uh, until it's um, you know sustained throughout the season. But I. They haven't been 2-0 since the first year I covered the team, which was 2014. And this 2-0 feels quite a bit different than that one. You know, they beat Chicago on the road to start that season, came home and beat the Dolphins in Week 2 pretty comfortably. But you still knew they hadn't done a whole lot yet because they hadn't really been tested. The Bears were decent that year, but they weren't great. And so... This year, similar feeling in that they haven't really been tested, but they've been they've been tested in the sense that they've won two games on the road. And I think that's the the big difference is that regardless of who you beat, winning on the road, you know, makes it feel a little bit different. And so I think the excitement will really start to ramp up next week because it's the Patriots. Right. And there's a lot of um, you know, sort of I don't think the team is overlooking the Bengals, but I think fans are excited to kind of continue this, you know, ride this wave because the Bengals are a beatable team, knowing that 
reality is coming in week four, and that's going to be the real test. For us as media and analyzing this team, you know, are we – I would say they haven't beaten – the Giants are not a good team, really, in any fashion. The Jets are good defensively, had some issues on offense. Sam Darnold might have not been 100% heading into that game. So I don't know if that – as you mentioned, they haven't been tested. I don't know if that's a real impressive win. What do the Bengals bring to the table? Is that an impressive win if the Bills can pull this out and get to 3-0? You know, as they say, Jonah, every win – in the NFL, is imp- it's hard to win hard in to this win. league. But no, I would not be that impressed if they beat the Bengals. I think the Bengals are – you're looking at three teams to start the year in the Jets, Giants, and Bengals, all of which could be picking in the top ten of the draft. Oof. So, And it's hard to really sort all that out this early in the season, but that to me is the level of talent that you're looking at. Uh, and it's more so with the Jets – then the level of talent is just the injuries and the situation they've been in. So I don't and think the kicker, they, they yeah, kind of blew their that kicker, game. their quarterback. I mean, um, you know, the injury to CJ Mosley didn't help they, they've just had some bad luck and they've got a, you know, not so great coach uh, that isn't helping matters, but the Bengals, they've got some talent. It, it wouldn't be a bad thing to win. I would more be impressed by them winning convincingly keeping a, a level head about where they're at, not looking ahead to the Patriots, all of those things would be more impressive than the win itself being against the Bengals. Well, let's see what our friend Jerry Sullivan has to say. Familiar voice on these airways every morning, 9 to 12. Joined us on the show last week was gardening. Jerry, are you out in the garden again today? I'm back on the patio, yeah, with a new awning that will have to be returned in October for the season. But, yeah, enjoying myself, getting ready to cut the grass. But, really, every day is a veteran maintenance rest day for me these days. No, you're a hard worker. You write six columns a week, yeah. Yeah, five radio right. shows. I appreciate that. I do work hard for the, for the radio show, but I'm off in the afternoon. You know, the Bills are okay. undefeated since you started writing that column for the Niagara Gazette. You think that's a coincidence? I do not, and I, I think the Bills are pretty happy about that. You know, um, you know what? Last year, the Bills went to Minnesota 0-2 and were the biggest underdog in the NFL, I believe, in like 20 years, and they blew them out. Now, I'm not saying that's going to happen Sunday, but I hope that uh, Sean McDermott reminds his players of what can happen in this league. You know, and I know I, I don't want to sound like Sean McDermott, but can't look past anybody in the, in the NFL, and Bengals have a lot of a lot of offensive talent anyway. So I don't know. I just thought I'd throw that out there. Let's not forget the past. Well, you know, speaking of the past, Sully, they've. This is not the first time the Bills have been two and zero, or better. Um, you know, twenty fourteen they were two and zero. Twenty eleven they got what to four and zero. Three and zero. Three and zero, and oh eight uh, they got off four to a hot start. Is this you've been you've been around all those teams? Is this is this different? Are you ready to go there yet? It feels different. It's not because they beat two good teams. It's these two teams. And you have one quarterback with mono and the other one ready to lose his job. But I, I do think it feels different because I think they have more elements necessary for success. And put more simply, a functional offense and a very good defense. The 0-11 team 
I mean, they were beating teams 34-31. Their defense was bad. I thought it would catch up to them. Plus, they got injuries. Oh, wait. Trent Edwards was a mess. The offense wasn't very good. This team, look, uh, Josh Allen could hit the skids. He's still a work in progress, I guess you could say, although he seems to have made more strides than we expected. But uh, I, I think that they're, they're better than any of those teams. I think this is the best Bills team in 20 years. I really do. Oh, here's a stat for you. We, we talk about fast starts. They have not been 6-4 in in since 2000 at, in a season. They have not had six wins through the 10th game in any season. Think about that. I mean, you can go 6-4 and four and still go 7-9. They have not been above 500 after 10 weeks. Do you know what the record is with a chance to get to a sixth win before the 10th game? I know it's getting a little less apparent here. Do you know what their record is in 16 of those games, the last 16? 0-16. <laughs> so I got a lot of history here for you. That's a good stat. That's a uh, – what, what's the segment you do in the morning on the stats? The thermostat. Oh, thermostat, that's what that is. Yeah, as soon as they get the five wins, you, you know that's coming out. <laughs> Unless they get the five wins, you know, at five and six or something. But I think the team's going to be five and one. The yeah. schedule sets up for a very hot start. I think, and I think Marcel said this on the show yesterday, they're the type of team, and this is the type of league where a team will win a home game against the team they're not supposed to beat. And the Eagles are the, or the Pats games they're going to win. One of those two. I would not be uh, – look, I, you, you know my history here. I'm not known for overestimating this team. I've learned uh, what I call, a, you know, a learned skepticism, well-worn. Uh, but I just think this team is good, and I don't think a team with a defense this good – you can be coming out of any game, really. I mean, in that context, with the experience you have, having covered, you know, every season of the playoff drought and all the good seasons in the '90s and late '80s before that, for you to say this is the best Bills team in 20 years is a bold statement. I think a lot of fans might say something similar, but I think for your analysis to come to that means a lot. What what is it about this team and and what you've seen so far this season that you think uh, they they are that good? Well, first of all, they, won't, they didn't make the playoffs 17 years in a row, so it's not a that bold a statement. And the team, that, <laughs> the team that made the playoffs two years ago was one of the worst playoff teams in the history of the league. They proved it in that playoff game. Their offense was, like, remedial at best. And I thought last year, I thought that last year's team was better than the 17 team. Um, I didn't think much of Tyrod Taylor, but I think that they have a very good defense. The last defense of theirs that I think is this was this good as a 99 defense, which is really good. It was kind of a different NFL then. I think they were giving up like 3.2 yards a carry, and they were just a terrific defense. They've had some good defenses over the years that tur- turned out to be a little overrated. Well, well you, now you go back to 14, right? I mean, that defense finished very high. I just But they were still a little overrated. Now we'll get to this year's team. I still wonder about them against the run. And that, at times, with the great Kyle Williams, they had some of the worst run defense in the history of the team, and they had some games that were just ghastly. And this team has shown a tendency to be vulnerable that way. So that's the one real, that's the real question about, about their defense. You get a team that will commit to the run and has a good quarterback, 
they might have this problem. You saw what happened on the first Giants possession last week. So um, I think the offense with Allen playing this way, or at least close to it, say 60%, and throws for 230 yards a game over the season, and they get their running game going, I, I think it's, it's a good offense. Uh, have they had better offenses? 2011 for the injuries, 2002. But there haven't been many good offenses. So now, I guess what I'm saying is a combination of, of a very good defense and a functional good uh, offense it's the best they've had in 20 years. I was playing around with the numbers they about, you know, add together for playoff teams where they rank offensively and defensively. And if it comes in in the mid-20s, you get a pretty good team. In other words, 16th in offense, 8th in defense. That team makes the playoffs. I think they're that kind of team. I know I'm rambling here, but I've talked for three hours in the morning. This stuff just pours out of me. Well, I think the only team I can think of in the last 20 years or so that that was good on defense and pretty good on offense too was 2004, and that was the opposite of this. They started 0-2 and finished very strong. So they really haven't had – well, they've had hot starts, but I don't know if they've had hot starts with a team that, that had this much potential, especially defensively, since they were in the 90s and one of the better teams in the league. Yeah, that 0-4 team is interesting. They steamrolled teams down the stretch. They had a pretty easy schedule. I think they swept the, a bad NFC West that year. Drew Bledsoe was about to, he was pretty much hitting the wall. If you go back and look at Bledsoe in the end of 04, he was not good. And they were winning despite him, but they had a pretty good offense. They had McGahee and they had, uh, and they had Lee Evans as a rookie. It wasn't that, it wasn't nearly as good as the 02 offense. And the no, 03 were, yeah. offense was a train wreck in 03. So that, that thing was kind of a, a fluky thing what happened to them. They were very good on defense. They had some games. I remember a game in 04, and I think it was against Cleveland in December, where they were almost held them to negative yards for the game. So they that was a good team. Yeah, it's um, funny. This team is not I, – I think the probably the difference is that if this team has success and can sustain it, the idea would be that it's not really fluky because they're doing it – this is the defense they envisioned building when they got here, and it's playing the way they thought it would. And then if the quarterback pans out, it, like you said, it would essentially be the first time a quarterback has ever panned out. You know, I mean, Fitzpatrick had his moment in the sun. Trent Edwards was a bit of a fluke for a little while. Drew Bledsoe was on the tail end of his career. I think that's probably the biggest difference for this team. And I, I think along the lines of some of these other teams, the schedule sets up for them to make s- some noise because – you look down the list, and it's hard to look at a game that they have and say they have no chance of winning it. Yeah, and that's one of the reasons I liked them this year, even though I thought Allen might be a year away from realizing what people were really hoping for. But because that's the type of league it is. I mean, it's astonishing you could go 17 years without making the playoffs because in a league where they're supposed to have parity, I mean, Ten wins is two wins over eight. It's really two wins over a 500 team, and they couldn't get there. Now you have this schedule, and as I asked McDermott, I didn't expect anything expansive from him. Andrew Luck is down. That was a playoff team. Uh, Roethlisberger is down. They were expected to be a playoff team. Darnold has mono. The Broncos are underachieving. It's all The path is really clearing out for a team I thought would win ten games anyway. And so the, the schedule and the state of the a lot of times 
uh, is a factor. It was a factor in all four. You know, they had a pretty easy crossover and the lead was a little down. But at some point, the cycle's supposed to come up for you. Jeez. And for this group, in the third year, it's not unreasonable to think they would win 10. I, you know, Matt, from, from talking to them, that they, in their heart of hearts, will wish they had another year in, in terms of public expectation that next year was the year. But why not this year? Even Jerry Sullivan is riding the wave, so to speak, heading into the Bills' home opener. And I'm with you. I think especially after these first two games, it's time to put the bar. The bar already should have been at nine or ten wins. And now I think if you get off to this type of start and presumably beat the Bengals and find a way to not make the playoffs, barring you know, the wild injuries that, you know, like the 2011 team had. I think it's pretty safe to say that getting off to a start like this and not finishing it properly would be a huge disappointment, regardless of where they thought they would be in their rebuild, whether they thought year four was the real year or whatever. I think you adjust on the fly, and clearly this is a a team that is playoff caliber, as they like to say, and, and the AFC doesn't have a lot of those teams right now. Oh, yeah. Um, look at it this way. Put the two Miami games in the bank. That, that team is tanking. So if, they, if you give them those two wins and they go 5-7, and seven, they're 9-7. and seven. We're at the point where 9-7 and seven would be a disappointment, aren't we? Yeah. I mean, you go down the list of games, you've got two against Miami. You've got the one against Cincinnati this weekend, which... As you said, you can't look past any team, but that's a team that's not very good. Washington's on the schedule. You have Pittsburgh with Mason Rudolph. You've got the Jets again, which is a, a beatable team. Uh, you know, here you, you mentioned you know Philadelphia, New England, uh, Baltimore is another top tier team. Dallas that they play, you, you just have to win what one or two of those, maybe, and you know then then you're right back in the mix. So I think. Uh, that's where this all shakes out. With the schedule being what it is, it's hard to, even the most pessimistic person looking at it would have a hard time not getting them to at least 9 or 10. Yeah, and they should be held to the standard. And as I said in preseason, Bobby members, every year on average, four teams go improve by four games. And every and all the good young quarterbacks in this league improve by an average of, they all improve by four games or more in their second year and made the playoffs. I'm pretty sure of that. So why not? If you think Josh Allen is that good and you think this team is good, they they set up perfectly as one of the teams to do in this league. I don't know who who you would put ahead of them in a team to, you know, fall in the line with that formula and make the playoffs this year. I mean, that was an objective view. That's not because I'm a homer. It's like when I thought they were going to suck it was because I – didn't think they were that good. I overreacted in 08, uh, actually. They roasted me with when I was on GR one year. I think it was in 11, and Jeremy White pulled out a bunch of my old columns to make fun of me because I was gushing about Trent Edwards. If there's, if there's a chance to be optimistic, I'll go with it. You know, <laughs> after 20 years, it's different, isn't it? I don't know, Jonah. I Sounds a lot like Sully's. I think he's doing this segment in his Bills footy pajamas. He's got his Zubaz on. <laughs> he's gone soft. He sounds like a homer no, no, to me. I got, 
My Fitz jersey. <laughs> Jerry has a, a three-week streak going on of asking the best question at Sean McDermott's press availability and maybe getting the worst answer. Is this going to be a season-long trend, do we think? God, but really? I mean, it's nice of you to say that, but it's not exactly like I'm, you know, turned into Cokie Robbins or anything here. <laughs> All I asked him was, like, whether he's looked at the what's happened in the conference and even – thought about the path getting easier but you know what and again, this is also gonna trend toward homerism what he's the way he's acting and you're there every day matt his players are are mouthing all this stuff they're channeling him i was i laughed at john brown today i go you're channeling your coach here but you know this is this is sports is that a bad thing i don't think these guys are going to look past the Bengals. i think they really do Take them one game at a time. Now, maybe every team says that, but you know, we wouldn't write about all this intangible stuff, team stuff that we've grown up with our whole lives if we didn't think that some of it was true. I think he's got this team in a good place. Do I think he's a great game coach? No. I think he's got the rest of it, and I think he's a good defensive coach. The time will come to question his clock management and stuff like that. And I just think I'm hoping and people should be glad that he just lets Dable take the offense and doesn't get in his way. Because that guy's looking like he's, he's figured it out, too. Yeah, Dable's he certainly had, has. I think I mean, you make a good point about these guys. I don't want to. I don't know if brainwashed is too strong of a word, but I think the guys in that locker room start to sound more and more like him. After the game on Sunday, I was asking a bunch of them about you know winning a game they were supposed to win, going into – New Jersey as a favorite and beating the Giants. And they all looked at me sideways like, what do you mean? People weren't picking us to win this game. We weren't the favorite. I was like, in Vegas, you were. But everybody in there was convinced that they were the underdog, that nobody's believing in them, nobody's picking them. They were all convinced of it. You know, it was like, this is the first I'm hearing of it. It was like I was, you know, offending them by saying they were anything but the underdog. They love playing that card. And I think McDermott has a lot to do with that. Oh yeah, he, he he loves that, and there were other games like that. In fact, I I paid attention to a lot of pregame stuff, a lot of uh, New York, and most people were picking the Giants, so it wasn't that hard to to play that card. I mean, Bill Cowher gets on a pregame show and says, "Well, I'm picking the Giants because you know the, the Bills just don't go into New York and beat the New York Giants." It's like, what is this, the nineties? And sometimes these experts they just don't have a lot, you know, a perspective on what's really going on. Fine. And I mean, historically, old little Buffalo goes into big New York and they're not supposed to win. you got to do a little better than that, Billy. And then after the game, he's kissing their ass. So, anyway, yeah, that, that's a uh, Us against the world, I mean, that works in every sport. Teams have been using that forever. And if that's, if that's what they're selling, fine. I'll tell you who's selling it. You walk into that locker room and Lee Smith is there, and he, they brought him back for more than blocking, I think. Lorenzo Alexander's across the room. He's selling it at 35 years old. I think that McDermott loves having all the guys in his room. Gore is probably the same way to help him, as he says, be connectors for that message. And there's a lot of truth to us. Talking to Lee Smith has become a great talker. It really is that kind of league. And I've said for years that it's a sport that invites overreaction and exaggeration because there's only 16 games. So if you can get your players in the state of mind where every game really is everything, then you then you've got something. Because really, we know, and I told Lee Smith, I could 
come in here with a list of 20 games for my time here where it went completely against form, including half a dozen times where the Bills were supposed to go against the Patriots and get blown out, and they gave them a game and almost won and a couple times actually beat them. Well, Sully helped us blow through a break here. So we appreciate the valuable historical context you provide. And it's what I'm here for. It's nice to see that, that you're, you know, finally shedding that pessimistic shell that you've had on for all these years and being a little bit of an optimist. Makes us yeah, feel thank, warm and fuzzy you. inside. And we're making week-by-week week week improvements with the phone connection. A little bit better this week. Well, that's good. I don't know why, but maybe I'm talking to the right end of it. But uh, as people know who have followed me, I can turn on them in a hurry. Oh, we know. We know. <laughs> All right. Thanks All right. for joining us, Jerry. Thank, thanks for having me. No, you're welcome is the answer, but thank you. Goodbye. <laughs> All right, we're going to go to a break. We'll be back in a few minutes with more Tim Graham show, but less Tim Graham. The Tim Graham Show. Ah, Tim's discounted prices shot out of the ground by premium prices. On Sports Radio 1270, The Fan. Take your calls at 270-1270. On Twitter at 1270, The Fan. We're back, Tim Graham show. Without Tim Graham, I'm Jonah Bronstein, Matthew Fairburn from the Athletic, Bobby Rosati, handling the knobs. We're going to talk a little bit of Sabers, Matt. I know you like your hockey. We got Joe Yurden, another writer for the Athletic Buffalo, on the line now to give us some of his impressions. Sabers open training camp this week. Well, last week, really, a weekend of training camp, a couple preseason games. Joe, what have been your early impressions from training camp and preseason action with the Buffalo Sabres? Well, I tell you, what I like, what I've seen so far, is that it seems like this team's going to play uh, a lot more with a lot more pressure up front, which is something we haven't really seen a whole lot of uh, the last few years. Um, it seems like they're going to play the kind of game where they're going to try to suffocate some teams into making mistakes in their own end. And uh, if you're trying to think of other teams that have played this way, like last season, I think Montreal and Carolina were really big examples of that. Uh, and it kind of reminds me a little bit of the, the going back to 2012, the Kings and the Devils, uh, although those teams were a lot better defensively. Uh, but it was very similar to that sort of style where they're going to try to get teams to turn the puck over to them uh, right around their own net as they're trying to break out. And that, that is going to work out really well if they can pull it off and get a full-on full commitment from everybody. Joe, a lot of people, you know, coming into training camp, a lot of talk was about Rasmus Ristolainen. What's been, I mean, how has he looked? Because it seems like uh, there's a pretty strong chance that this guy will be on the team for the entire season. Does he look uh, bought in, motivated, and and ready to maybe make a bit of a jump finally. Well, he he looks like he's. The, I mean, this is going to sound terrible when I say it, but he he looks like he's the same Ristolainen. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's tough to convey like how he plays in practice because uh, in practice he's you know he's he's a bit of a pest to to his teammates. He likes to drive him a little bit crazy. He gets physical in some of the you know the three on three, four on four 
five on five battles. And, you know, that, I mean, that's good for everybody because, you know, you know, how else are you going to get that sort of, that sort of action outside of a game? But, um, what's curious is how he's going to be used. You know, Ralph Kruger said that he and, uh, Marcus Johansson are, are going to not see quite as many games here, uh, in the preseason, uh, because, you know, Ristol Lannan was, was part was is a part of the group that that went to Penn State, but he wasn't he didn't go to Penn State. Like the, the guys he's been practicing with since camp opened, all went, but he didn't go, and that immediately raised a lot of eyebrows as if it was you know we're we're talking about the trade deadline again, and he's being held out so he doesn't get hurt. But um, but it is a little peculiar to see those two guys singled out to say that you know they don't need as many games, but you know I, I don't know if that means they're in the absolute peak peak shape if they're dealing with injuries right now or if there's you know if there's some other you know reason to ralph's madness but uh it, it is a little curious and i i do wonder if we're we're going to find out tomorrow maybe if we're going to see him against toronto because i'm sure playing against the toronto maple leafs will not bring about any sort of media attention whatsoever to a guy uh that's been in rumors basically all summer talking with joe yurden sabers writer for the athletic buffalo you know, when NFL training camps open and we get into early preseason action, there's a lot of talk about maybe not trusting our eyes so much. You can't read a whole lot into what happens, especially in the preseason games, uh, vanilla game plans, and everybody looks good and not really overreacting to every little thing we see on the field and practices and games. How much of that do you get with the NHL? Or on the flip side of that, how much from watching a few practices and two preseason games can you really read about how this team's going to play in the regular season? I, I think it's, I think with Ralph, it's, it's a little different because you know, he's been out of the NHL since, since 2013. And the last time we saw him coaching NHL players, you know, on a big stage was 2016. So there's been a lot of attention as to how he's going to play. And even asking, you know, you ask hockey players and they're, you know, they're just like, oh, let's just get on the ice and play. You know, the, there's system talk. There's all kinds of things like that, but they, they're not really, too interested in in figuring it out it's, if it has success on the ice then they're happy and you know right now there's it's not even like there's optimism per se with the Sabres it's just you, know, you ask the guys and you're like you know what do you think of the offseason division what do you think of adding Ralph and everybody's basically saying well we'll see how it goes we'll see how it works so there's still a lot of mystery and even in the practices we're not we're not seeing a lot of system stuff per se it's just you know here's the forecheck go forecheck like this you know, here's some four and four play. Let's do things like this. It's it, it's kind of breaking things down a little bit more simply and just trying to keep it as easy as possible uh, before you know getting heavily into you know you know schemes and, and, and doing things like that. But um, but as far as performances go, I mean, you know, well, I know some folks got excited seeing the Sabres dominate Pittsburgh the other night, shot wise. I mean, the game ended up going to overtime, but um, but that's the kind of thing where they were playing against a team that had maybe four NHL players on it. You know, you have to kind of step back and say, "All right, well, they, Sabres sent almost their virtual A team down there to play that game, and you know, yeah, they they should be up, you know, forty to nine in shots after two periods. That's that kind of thing will happen because you're going to get these kind of A and B squads until the camps get cut down." All right, Joe. It was nice hearing from you. Thanks for calling in. Did my phone work right this time? Your phone was excellent. <laughs> Better than Jerry Sullivan's phone. Big upgrade from Sullivan. <laughs> Better than from what I remember from you calling us from the basement of the Hotel Lafayette last time or wherever you were. <laughs> basement of the Alamo. We've hit our hockey quota. There, though. <laughs>
All right, thanks, Joe. We're going to take another break on the Tim Graham Show. We'll be back in a few minutes. Halfway out. I'll try to get it in uh, before uh, traffic and weather together on the nines. <laughs> Do drummers die more often? Sports Radio 1270, The Fan, The Tim Graham Show. From Buffalo to Las Vegas, the Bills make me wanna. Everyone who hates Tom Brady hates Tom Brady because he, he's not on there. Tomorrow is my birthday. <laughs> but I mean, this is just awesome. I mean, the excitement that's around the, the, the city as a whole. It's more like a royal flash. All right, we're back. Tim Graham Show, 1270 The Fan. Tim Graham Show brought to you by Shampo, Travis, Besaw, and Kirshner. On Twitter, CTBK45, a local firm with a world of knowledge. And Matt, you know who else has a world of knowledge? Who's that, Jonah? On the line, Joel from House Staniszewski, Pride of Sloan, Warden of Las Vegas. Going to break down some of the NFL betting, Buffalo Bills trends for this weekend. Joel, how you doing? I'm doing all right. How are you guys? You all right? It's me, Jonah Bronstein, Matthew Fairburn, but we have no Tim Graham today. Is that going to work out that's for a, you? That, that's fine. I like you guys better anyway. You needed, you needed a break from Tim, so did we. Veteran rest <laughs> day for Tim. I'm, I'm actually talking to you a mere 20 hours since I just had abdominal surgery. That right. shows you how committed I am to this show. If anyone needed a veteran rest day, it was Joel. <laughs> How'd the surgery yeah. go? Everything goes smoothly? It went, it went, it went yeah, it went pretty smooth. I, I, I don't know if it's my first surgery, so I guess it is. There's, a, there's some things I inherited from my father that was love of the Buffalo Bills and weak intestine walls. Are we wearing a red, a red jersey? Are you a limited participant or a full go today? I, I, would, I would definitely be on the sidelines on a, on a uh, stationary bicycle for sure. All right. We got the Bills. I'm looking at it here, favored by six points in the home opener against the Bengals. Is that the line you're getting, you're seeing? Yeah, that's still the line. Um, it's something to keep an eye on. I, I always keep an eye on the, the companies that put out the lines early in the season, before the season started, all the lines, um, which was something to point out last week. The Giants on week two, uh, before you, the season started, was a three-point favorite against us, which obviously that didn't happen. Uh, Buffalo was only a four was a four point favorite, so it really hasn't gone up that much from the from the early season betting from the preseason betting. Uh, it's it's a it's a interesting game. Obviously, it's a game uh, with against a, a a team that's not doing well at all, but they still have an extremely powerful offense. You know, easy, you know, we're lucky that our strength is our secondary against the pass because that's where they excel. They can't run the ball very well. Their line is banged up. Their line isn't good to start with. So if we can apply some pressure, I think that six is, is very doable. You like that play? I do. I do. Um, if it starts to go up more, six and a half, seven, obviously I wouldn't like it. I, I like it at six. Um, it, it's, a, it's a good number. It's, it's what I expected it to be. I, I, don't, I didn't honestly expect 
Cincinnati to be as bad as they are as they started out this season. They're not a bad team. They still have a great quarterback. So their their poor performance isn't necessarily a reflection of how good of a team they can be. So this is by no means a game that you could just look past and think start thinking about the Patriots. This is still a, a, a real game against a real team that can put points on the board. So we definitely have to the team definitely has to be focused on on who we're playing against this week. Well, you know, the Bills might not be able to look past the Bengals, but we certainly can. Uh, well, we can. And, and we course. already have been. <laughs> I mean, I'm curious what you think, you know, assuming the Bills take care of business, do what they need to do this weekend, what might the line look like with the Patriots and Bills playing in what could be a very significant game uh, in the AFC East race a week from Sunday. Yeah, the the Patriots are a huge favorite. It's it's um, interesting that as of right now we have two twenty plus point favorites this week. Uh, New England hosting a quarterbackless Jets at twenty three, up to twenty three and a half at some spots, and um, the Dallas Cowboys is a twenty one and a half point favorite. I mean, those are monster spreads. I I would venture to guess that there hasn't been a week in the NFL ever with two, uh, three touchdown plus favorites in one week. Uh, I I remember the 2007 Patriots as huge favorites. They were the biggest spread that they had was I just I looked it up because I remember I played this bet. Uh, they were a 24 and a half point favorite against AJ Feely and the Philadelphia Eagles. And the Eagles actually went up, I want to say, like 14 nothing in this game. So at that point, the spread was impossible to hit. Uh, the Patriots ended up obviously did win that game because they went 16-0 and that year. Uh, but that was the biggest spread in NFL history. So we got two, two games that are right up against it. They probably won't hit 24 and a half, 24 being, a, I guess, a key number. Not many games land on 24, but it is a very reachable number. So I can't foresee either game going past that. But those two games with huge favorites, those teams are, if you're looking at it statistically, they've got to be a 90% favored win. So those are pretty solid gimmies, if you will, for a win. Uh, the Bills, as a six-point favorite, they got to be in the – they'd be in the – hold on, let me get my sheet out, get my piece of paper out with my notes. They're, they're in the – 75, 74% win range. So with that, when you're looking at that, if we both handle business and we both come out without injuries, uh, you've got to figure New England somewhere around a touchdown favorite, which is which will probably be high. Uh, when you look at historically the Patriots versus the Bills, they've won, you know, however many times in the last 15 years, 20 plus times. So the, the line is going to favor New England more than it should. It should realistically be in the five, five-and-a-half range, but I would guess it's probably going to be a touchdown plus for the, for the Patriots when, that, when those two games conclude. If the Bills somehow get blown out by Cincinnati and the Patriots blow out um, the Jets, maybe we're looking at up to a nine-point favorite. And if the Bills destroy Cincinnati and somehow the Patriots lose, I wouldn't say the line would go lower than five and a half, but I would guess somewhere around a touchdown would probably be what the line will come out as. 
when you look at these two big numbers with New England against the Jets, Dallas against Miami, I believe I read the last time we had these two 20-plus point favorites was 1987, the strike season with replacement players. Oh, involved. yeah. Yep. The, the biggest one, I believe, that, that season was the 49ers were like a 23-point favorite away at Atlanta, and I, I don't believe they covered that. These huge numbers are, are, are just crazy. Now, obviously, when you look at the Jets without a quarterback, they're going on their third-string quarterback. That goes into effect, obviously, and the Patriots being as dominant as they are, it's still a division game. The Jets still have a decent defense, so you have to assume that the Patriots are going to put up still 28 points plus. That would mean that the Jets are going to be scoring three or less if you're going to try to cover that spread. Once the, once the Jets score seven or even ten points, that spread is really hard to beat because then you got to hit up, they got to hit at least 35. The Cowboys is another is another thing because I've never seen an NFL team tank as hard as Miami is. They're just getting rid of any player they can to get draft picks. This is even bigger than the Browns had done it in the past couple of years. They're obviously in complete rebuild mode. They want to get rid of anybody that they can get draft picks for, gain more cap space. They're going to have a ton of cap space, a ton of draft picks. But the fact remains you still have to hit on those draft picks. So that spread is, 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 is really hard for me to gauge because you haven't seen an NFL team at week two, at week one, already tanking for the season. So it's, it's, a, it's a really weird line to play. Uh, I, I think anything in, double, in high double digits, once you get to like 15, 16, 17 points, is hard to bet on the favorite. Once you get past three touchdowns, it's really hard for me to bet the favorite. Um, it doesn't necessarily mean they won't cover that spread. It's just a lot of points to, to lay on a favorite. If I'm looking at this correctly, I think the Dolphins could have a chance to break a record for being 20-point underdogs more than any other team. I, I'm looking at the Jaguars in 2013 were 20-point underdogs twice, but it does not happen. Do, do you think – the Dolphins are consistently going to get lines like this. Obviously, they won't play the Cowboys every week, but are they going to be 20-point-plus underdogs? And how do you even go about knowing when is a good time to bet on it because they're getting blown out consistently? They haven't covered either spread in the games they've been in. Yeah, they, they've, they've got to be on record pace or average margin of loss when you, when you, when you, get, when you go on the season because they're obviously, not going to win this game unless something crazy happens. You have to assume they're going to go 0-16 at this point. I haven't seen their full schedule off the top of my head. Uh, they do play, obviously, the Bills twice. They'll play the Jets twice, which are no gimmies. As Bills fans, we know the Buffalo Bills have historically lost those games that we assume as fans are just gimmies. So that's why I'm, I'm nervous about the Cincinnati game. I hope that the team is, is super focused on that because I see some fans that are already talking about the Patriots and what it's going to be with two 4-0 and teams playing against each other, division opponents, playing for the lead of the AFC East, and we still have a, a, a very live dog in this game in Cincinnati. But Miami, uh, when we play them after a bye, so we'll see what happens over the next three weeks when we play Cincinnati, New England, and Tennessee. 
then we'll have a bye, then we'll play Miami. So it's it, we could be at home, we could be two touchdown favorites. I wouldn't go as far as saying 20-point favorites, but we could definitely be two touchdown favorites against Miami uh, after our bye week and whoever else Miami plays after that, we, especially uh, on the road, they could be 20-point dogs if they continue this horrid pace that they're at and this obvious tanking that they're in the process of doing right now. The, the Dolphins haven't lost by 49 week one, by 43 week two at home, both of those games. Are they, is this line 21 points almost too low? Is that crazy to say? It, it, it is a little crazy to say. Um, yeah, they are on the are on the road in Dallas. Dallas is at a really high powered offense. Dak Prescott is throwing for 400 yards. Uh, Zeke is just getting up to speed to being the the number one running back in the league, like he is. Miami is trading off all of their good players or anything they can get draft picks for, which has to be horrible for locker room morale uh they 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 just they have to be accepting the fact that they're going to keep losing games that they they have no chance to win these games and and yeah 21 and a half is a huge number but i i don't even know that might not be big enough but yeah you're right because dallas can put up points quick really quick and Miami now just traded away one of their best uh, people in the secondary. So how are they going to stop the pass? How are they going to stop the run? They have nobody, and they have uh, very inept quarterbacks, no receivers, hardly a running game against Dallas that has a really good defense, a great offense, and it's who knows what's going to happen with this this game. This could be another 49-point loss. I mean, they, they just – can't get out of their own way. And Dallas is hitting the point where they're rolling on all cylinders. So at this point, I feel like it's getting to the point where you have to know what type of coaches are the ones that are going to keep scoring and which ones are going to take it easy and put all their backups in and just run the game out after they're up by three, four touchdowns. Because Miami can't score. And at some point, they're, they're, there's going to be a team that is either going to just keep keep their foot on their throat and put up 60 points on them, or there's going to be a team that puts it in neutral in the third quarter and just puts in all their backups and they just run the ball, run the ball, run the ball for the rest of the game. And it's just going to be a horribly boring second half and the team will win easily, but they won't cover that, you know, monstrous spread. So that's why you got to be really, you got to be prepared for both situations. You have to know about your coaches, what the Miami coaches are going to do. If they're going to keep trying to throw the ball, if they're just going to commit to, a loss and just you know not try hard either it's it's a really weird situation so it yeah it very well could be you know they could be a 24 25 27 point favorite i just think that putting a point spread up that high is is just crazy to think about joel pulled the 1987 falcons 49ers spread right off the top of his head so i have to i have to test him out do you know the last time the Bills were a 20-point favorite? Wow, that would be a tough one. That would have to be in our glory days. Um, I couldn't even say. It's 1991, so the tail end of the 
or right there in the uh, in the midst of the glory days, and they covered. They were a twenty point favorite against the Colts. They won forty two to six. But I looked it up because you said that the Bills would have a shot at being a two point favorite or two touchdown favorite against the Dolphins. They haven't even been that since nineteen ninety three. That's a yeah. That's a big big difference. I mean, how many quarterbacks and coaches have we gone through in that era? 10, 15 each. So to think that a team that has has a reputation for being so bad for the last 10, 15, 20 years to be a two-touchdown favorite against a division opponent is, is crazy to think about. But if we keep playing the way that we did from the second half of week one through week two uh, for the next couple of weeks, then we absolutely have the ability to be a two-touchdown favorite uh, hosting the Dolphins. You think they'll hang a banner for that two touchdown favorite? <laughs> I would <laughs> put that point spread on the Wall of Fame. Uh, yeah, right next to uh, OJ Simpson. <laughs> All right, Joel. Well, thanks for joining us. Thanks, guys. Nice to know we can still get Joel on the line from Vegas, even when Tim Graham's not here with the secret hotline number. That was clutch. Good work by Bobby. We're going to take another break. We're going to be back with Buffalo Bills defensive end Trent Murphy joining us at the top of the 5 o'clock hour on the Tim Graham Show, 1270 The Fan. This is the Tim Graham Show. I like this guy, uh, Tim Graham, getting a good interview with OJ. At the end of the interview, OJ told Tim he's a positive person. You want to hear that? Okay. All right. Whether or not there are words or not. <laughs> Sports Radio 1270. It's a Duggar. Shocking. Dizzying. How did this happen? When I bring the lumber. It was all about the whole. Tim I did old, uh, some poll uh, over the weekend. Right. Not me so honia. I did have an accident with a menorah. Here we go. On Twitter at 1270. The fan. Wet Taking your calls at 270-1270. What's up, baby? How you doing? Here we go. The Tim Graham Show. When's the last time you read the New Testament? Huh? I'm trying to put my junk back in place. You're one of the guys I'm following on Twitter, you know. Uh-oh. I like this guy, uh, Tim Graham. Welcome back to the Tim Graham Show. Bobby Rosati bringing it in with some Johnny Cash for our next guest. We're without Tim Graham today. He's getting a veteran rest day. I'm Matthew Fairburn from The Athletic, joined by Jonah Bronstein. And we've got Trent Murphy, defensive end for the Buffalo Bills, on the line. We brought you in with some Johnny Cash, Trent. I appreciate that. It's a heck of a walkout song, for sure. <laughs> What's at the top of your Johnny Cash playlist these days? Um, Man, I don't know. I got a little bit of everything, really. I always... That uh, Folsom Prison Blues is a classic. Uh, I don't know. I got. I, I listen to all Johnny Cash, really. Yeah, you can't really go wrong uh, with Johnny Cash. So you you've gotten off to quite the start uh, this year. You had your first interception of your NFL career last week, and it seems like all your coaches are talking about you know, just how much more confident you look, how much different you look a year removed f- 
from the torn ACL. How do you feel physically? Can you feel a difference compared to where where you were this time last year? Uh, definitely. Last year was a tough, tough season. A lot of kind of compensation injuries and some nagging stuff. So it was a lot of a lot of frustration. But tonight, night and day, I really try to put put last season to bed and just kind of excited to to be somebody that my teammates can, can count on and try to do my job to the best of my ability and uh keep keep chipping away really you know people talk about that acl injury being kind of a more than just a year recovery at what point did you kind of start to feel like yourself again honestly it was probably about march of the off season when i was kind of training and getting back to it and in arizona i was like oh man you know what kind of shook it off from the dust a little bit. I was like, I'm starting to feel better. I actually, I'm actually going to, going to rebound from this here. And so it was, it was, it was definitely, definitely refreshing. I know a lot of people say that that injury takes some time and don't rush it. And I thought I was above, above that timetable, but I guess, uh, just a little, a little, a little time, a little, a little work when it went a long ways. Yeah, definitely. I mean, the, the, Non-athletes among us, including the two guys sitting in this studio, probably don't, you know, really comprehend quite what that recovery is like. And what is what does it change for your off season when you're there in March, finally feeling like yourself with really the whole off season program ahead of you in terms of practices and training camps compared to, you know, the previous March you were signing that free agent deal and and weren't sure quite when you would hit the field. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it just changes kind of the mentality completely from like a, a sitting back, thinking about how you feel, what, how you have to protect, what you have to do, like what warm-up you have to do to thinking about really the game of football and one-on-one matchups and how to do, how to do your job better and, and, and things like that. So it just kind of changes the approach and the conversation to a – conversation i'm much more familiar with so that's uh better better all around we're in conversation with buffalo bills defensive end trent murphy who is fresh off his first nfl interception but jonah and i were talking to him in the locker room today this was interceptions are old hat for you uh in your college days you had a you had a couple uh share share with us what what those interceptions were like uh, for you in college when you played a little bit more of a, you know, pass coverage role as a hybrid linebacker there. Yeah. I think uh, some of the guys tease me because they see me drop balls and practice every once in a while. I'm like, man, we don't do ball drills anymore. I did ball drills every day in college and in Washington. Like I haven't touched a ball since, since DC. So um, coach, coach Bob Babbage, he was throwing me balls before the game. He was like, I- I'm the lucky, like I-, I got the lucky hand. You, I got to throw you every game now. So I think he- he'll keep throwing those to me, but yeah, I had a couple of pick sixes. I actually thought I was going to get drafted by the Seahawks because they both happened in their stadium. And when my phone rang, they had the pick the next pick on the TV. I didn't really understand how it worked yet, but um, I thought for sure I was, I was staying, staying on the West coast, but it was good to, I guess, get to get the first one. I almost just one I had already had the first one, so I wasn't uh, jumping for for joy about that. But I knew it was a big, big play in the game, big pivotal moment to keep them from scoring before half. So I knew uh, I was I was pretty excited about that. 
Trent, Jonah Bronstein here. Uh, reading through the Bills Media Guide, your, your profile in there says the most famous person in your cell phone is Louis Simmons. Uh, for those, <laughs> those of our listeners, I know who Louis is, uh, but for those of our listeners that aren't into powerlifting, maybe don't know who Louis Simmons is, what can you tell us about him, his impact on the Iron Game, and, and why he's been so impactful for you? Yeah, I think, uh, I mean, I grew up reading about Westside Barbell, which I maybe is not most kids' uh, bedtime stories, but it was maybe one of mine. And uh, my dad is, is huge on, on lifting and, and and studying and reading, and he kind of always tried to pass that down to us. So I knew about Westside growing up. It was kind of always a dream of mine to to be able to go there, but I knew it was invite only. It was kind of a, kind of a, an exclusive club, so to speak. And um, I was able to, to meet them and got the invitation to go train there with some of the athletes and the MMA fighters and some great dudes over there. And so it was, it was a once in a lifetime experience. I mean, love those guys dearly and would, would be happy to go back. And there's some of the kind of, just most transparent, most intelligent. A lot of people overlook how how intelligent their their hard work really is. They just see kind of a barbarian side of it, but they're 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 next level for sure. And they changed. I mean, changed how most strength programs are are written today. How does it kind of change your perspective when you you train with guys like that who are? constantly pushing the envelope um, and like you said some people kind of look at them as a little bit outside the box or or barbarians but it, it makes you look at things in a little bit of a different way than you would if you're constantly around football players no doubt I think strength is so relative and even our knowledge of, of strength training is so relative and so where I was feeling kind of sorry for myself coming off the knee injury and everything and playing and going there that off season and calling them, being like, "Hey guys, uh, sorry I messed up my knee. I don't think it's the best time for me to come there. I should do rehab and stuff." And them kind of just cut my sentence off and saying, "Like our our standard for messed up is is broken back. So you're not that messed up. Like you need us. You should come here." And so to to kind of hear that and then get there and see what real numbers look like, what real strength look like, and kind of where your strength should be allocated and how strong a hamstring should be compared to a quad and things like that. Just things you don't really know beforehand. I mean, it was just super cool and super eye-opening and realized like how kind of raw and how much I don't know truly and how much better and more kind of have to bring to the table. And so uh, it was a good time to do it. I think especially going into year six now, realizing like, man, I haven't even scratched the surface yet. There's just so much more work to be done. Who would you say pound for pound is the strongest guy in the Bills or who may have the best potential as a power lifter? Um, God, I just hate hate giving him credit. It just breaks <laughs> my heart. But really, it might, might be Harry. He's got some got some pretty good potential to, to be in the powerlifting world. Um, who else we got? I mean, Ed is really strong too. Tynasek, he's really strong. Uh, he, he's um, big Spain. He's 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 built like a power lifter a little bit. Uh, yeah, I mean, we got we got some strong boys for sure. I mean, they they throw around some weight like it's nothing in the weight room. Yeah, you almost have to be built the right way. You know, you can't be a a super lanky uh, guy. Leverages. And, that's a big and, deal. And, Harrison Phillips does certainly have the body for it. 
<laughs> yeah, definitely not not real lanky for sure. <laughs> you've got some interesting. Uh, you've got some interesting heroes. Uh, speaking of that that media guide profile of yours, the one that isn't quite like the others, at least from where we're sitting, is Tony Hawk. Uh, I'm curious where the uh, where that started and and what made you gravitate to Tony Hawk. Um, well, I really grew up skateboarding long before I was playing football, so I think uh, that might have been it a little bit. But I also still remember him the first time he landed the like 1080 on the half pipe and like how cool that was to do something that nobody thought was possible and just how many mile markers he kind of broke in a, in a different type of sport that people didn't really even view as a, as a sport yet. And I follow him on social media too. And he's just got such a good character and I mean, he's still where I don't even know how old he is now, but he's still, still competing and still kind of showing up all the young bucks and stuff and just how talented he was. You could tell the work that went on behind the scenes and stuff. And, and I just appreciate kind of extreme sports and, and different types of things. So I think he's uh, he's super cool. What about we got to talk about Wolfgang Schmidt? Yeah, I mean that's where it, that's the funny um, juxtaposition for me is Tony Hawk is kind of this you know lanky skater guy, and then you've got Wolfgang Schmidt, who quite frankly might be the biggest badass of all time. <laughs> yeah, Wolfgang is a is a badass for sure. Uh, I appreciate appreciate a little bit of everything, but. I was throwing discus pretty competitively and watching kind of trying to like study video and watch how the pros were doing it. And I liked how uh, there was this video of Wolfgang and Mac Wilkins and they'd throw together. And it's just an awesome video. If you ever just Google those two names and watch the first YouTube video that pop up, it's hilarious. But um, yeah, I mean, talk about a guy who's been through adversity and kind of try to fight through it and had titles stripped from him because he was friends with, like Americans and just a whole another time and another world. But I just watched him, him work out and him throw the disc and super, super talented dude. He's like the Russian, the Rocky movie or something. Just like his presence. He was, he was a badass. So he was another dude that, uh, I just wanted to, want to put something a, a little, little different, make people kind of scratch their head and look somebody up, learn something. Yeah, there's certainly certainly some head scratchers uh, that you throw out here. I mean, a, a wide array of of interests, and I mean, in a way, when I look at that defensive line room, maybe I'm making a, a connection that uh, just for the sake of making a connection. But there's a lot of personalities in that defensive line room. There's a lot of personalities in a locker room in general. I mean, how do you? How have you noticed the dynamic in that D-line room now with some new additions and replacing your key leader uh, in Kyle Williams? There's uh, a different mix in there this year. Yeah, there, there's no question. I love it. I, I kind of joke all the time, say our personnel department either deserves an award or some kind of psych evaluation for putting our Motley crew together. But I, I'm one of the best rooms I've ever been a part against, and from top to bottom, I mean, just such good dudes, such good character. I mean, we all hang out all the time outside of the facility and want to be around each other and spend time and work together and stay after, study film and stuff. So Kyle definitely left his impression on us with with his work ethic, but just good dudes. I mean, people you want to 
spend time with and buy them to your wedding and, 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 and win together more than, more than anything. And so I think, uh, they put brought, brought together the right, right crew of people. And I can't think of a much more fitting person to, to corral all you guys than Bill Tierlink either. Yeah. I heard, heard, heard old Billy was a, was a wild child back, back in his heyday. I think he led D3 and, and sacks one of, one of his years. So he does a good job. And I mean, coach Aaron too, he doesn't always get a lot of credit, but he works with the ends a lot and, and, and he's always working, working his tail off behind the scenes. So I'm really, really credit to both those guys. You know, you talk about all these, these personalities that you guys have, but how much it seems like you guys really genuinely enjoy going to work and, and playing with one another. How is that helping you guys kind of keep that, that tunnel vision as you're sitting there at two and zero, but knowing it's it's such a long season, and you don't want to buy into the hype, despite the fact that that Bills fans are ready to get pretty excited about this team. Yeah, I mean, definitely credit to the Bills fans because there's just no nobody better at all. I mean, love love everything about them for sure. But I mean, we we see ourselves practice, and we've saw ourselves since OTAs and kind of coming together and and what we're capable of and. I mean, I don't, I don't think there's, I mean, definitely always enjoy wins, but I've honestly sensed more frustration from the building than, than anything else for mistakes we've made or times we've come up short in games. And, and so I think that it's definitely not a complacent or, or entitled position or guys aren't, aren't really happy with, with what we've done yet. So still definitely a lot of work and we need to find that kind of transfer from practice field to the games but it's no no better crew I would rather rather work and try to accomplish those goals with. What kind of atmosphere are you expecting this Sunday at New Era Field? It's the first time the Bills have ever been 2-0 and heading into the home opener in a season. Uh, I think that's kind of one of the best parts about Bills fans is whether we were 2-0 and or not, I think the atmosphere would, would really be electric and, and awesome regardless. And so I'm sure – I'm sure they'll show up in, in full force. They always do. Um, hopefully, it's it's loud and and their offense can't hear a single thing that the quarterback says. And that's 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 what I'm rooting for. That's Buffalo Bills defensive end Trent Murphy. Trent, thanks for joining us. Uh, appreciate the conversation and uh, wishing you the best of luck on Sunday. Absolutely. Thank you, guys. Thanks, Trent. Bills DN Trent Murphy, a man of many interests. Yeah, we didn't even get into wrestling the steer. Right, that's that's old news at this point. <laughs> he has so many more eclectic tastes than just being a, what was it, rodeo, that he used to rope cows. He was reading powerlifting books, apparently, yeah, I as think, a young boy. I think we could do a whole show with Trent Murphy and really not even get into football with all these myriad of interests he has and, and mentors and heroes. I feel like we could have taken the week off and just had Trent Murphy and Lee Smith sit down here and that would be just good chat. too. Right, Two Lee hours. Smith's got a lot to say too. Both those guys are uh, world class in the uh, in terms of having interesting conversation. And Trent Murphy, a little bit, he's a little bit soft spoken, but once you get him going on the topics he likes to talk about, um, he's also a big Steve Nash fan. We didn't get into that. Uh, grew up in Arizona. 
So I was doing a little research on uh, Wolfgang Schmidt, and not only is he a German discus thrower or a discus thrower, he's also a German serial killer. That ca- same, not guy? The same guy, not the same guy, <laughs> but same name, and the name was just recently changed because of uh, transgenderism. But just really weird. I clicked on that instead. I was like, why is he like this guy? That doesn't sound weird. <laughs> Thanks, Bobby. Thanks for chiming in there. (laughs) Just, you know. I think it's time for a break. Uh Uh-oh. I agree. (laughs) We'll be back on the Tim Graham Show with uh, Bobby's mic cut off after this. This is the Tim Graham Show. So you're telling me there's a chance. On Twitter at 1270 The Fan. The Tim Graham Show. Now on Sports Radio 1270 The Fan. And on the Fans app. Free to download in the App Store. We're back. Tim Graham Show, 1270 The Fan. Jonah Bronstein usurping the throne, the Tim Graham Show throne. Sharing the throne with Matthew Fairburn from the Athletic Buffalo. Producer Bobby Rosati. Some wonderful guests that we've had. The Tim Graham Show is brought to you every week. Shampoo, Travis, Besaw, and Kirshner. A local accounting firm with a world of knowledge. If you want to know more about them, you can follow them on Twitter, CTBK45. We're going to get back into some Bills talk. Bills, I mean, this is a big week for the Bills, Bills fans, people that cover the Bills. Home opener is always one of the most, whether the team is good or bad and plays good or bad in that game, the most exciting, anticipated events of the season. Especially Bill seasons, you always work backwards, where the biggest games are at the beginning and the, the least important games are at the end. It, maybe, maybe this season will be different. But going into this game, Bill's 2-0, hosting the Cincinnati Bengals. Never been 2-0 heading into the home opener before. As we talked earlier with Jerry Sullivan, it's looking like this is one of the better, if not the best Bills team, he said, in 20 years. There's potential, if you look at the schedule, for them to have the best season that they've had in 20 years, you know, they made the playoffs two years ago, ended that playoff drought, but that was only a 9-7 and team that kind of backed in. Uh, the Bills, with this 2-0 and start and, and some of the easier games perceivably on the schedule, look like a team that could win 10-11 games. I'm curious, Matt, let's, let's play out this scenario. The Bills have a particularly easy early schedule, which we've seen already in these first two weeks. They get to let's say six and two, maybe even seven and one at the midway point, but stumble a bit in some tougher games later in the season, finish with ten, eleven wins, but don't really beat any of the really good teams on the road or don't beat the New England Patriots, don't beat the Baltimore Ravens. Uh, just in this hypothetical, it's it's maybe a ten and six season, losing the first round of the playoffs, never have that signature win. How would you evaluate that season? Is that a success? I mean, when we were going through the playoff drought, 
that definitely would have been considered a, a success. But have the standards raised at all now that, as Jerry Sullivan says, this is the best team in 20 years? I don't know if they've raised to that point quite yet. You know, the point where you can be disappointed by 10 wins because, as we mentioned, they still think they're not quite where they will be going into year four. Still feel like they're building towards that fourth year, but they haven't won 10 games since 1999. They went 11-5, and lost in the wild card. Year before, they were 10-6, and lost in the wild card. Haven't won a playoff game since 1995. So making it to the playoffs and losing early, I mean, if you're an 11-win team and you lose in the first round, you're disappointed by that because 11-win teams should probably win. Now, can you imagine if they somehow got themselves a home playoff game? Well, that's a good point. That's what I was thinking. I think that should be the standard. Maybe this team isn't quite ready to, to meet that standard yet, but that should be the standard is winning the division and getting a home playoff game because if you think the atmosphere at the home opener is nuts, I mean, how old were you in 1996, the last time the Bills played a playoff game at home? I was four years old. So you probably don't remember what that was like. I, w- I don't remember either. I wasn't there. But I, I do. I was alive and around and watching the team, and I have a sense of how crazy it was at these playoff games that back then it was Rich Stadium. That should be the standard is to have home playoff games. And then when you do that, you're in a good position to win playoff games, advance, and be a Super Bowl contender. I don't know, even if this is the best Bills team that we've seen in a while and going on their way to maybe having the best season that the Bills have had in 20 years, I don't know if this team is a championship Super Bowl contender quite yet. Probably not. And a a lot of that probably has to do with the inexperience of their quarterback and the the general newness of a lot of things on offense. The defense is certainly of that caliber, but will the offense catch up in time? It, it's possible, but the only reason I say they're not quite a Super Bowl contender is because I don't really think – I can't envision a scenario where they go into Kansas City or New England and knock one of those teams off in the AFC title game. I just don't see how that could be a realistic expectation. But the path to 10 or 11 wins is there. If they win this weekend against the Bengals, they'll be 3-0. and They have the Patriots and Titans heading into the bye. You say maybe, what, 4-1 and heading into the bye? Coming out, they get the Dolphins, Eagles, Redskins. Two of those should be relatively easy wins, especially considering Washington – is at home. That puts you at six and two, which as Jerry mentioned, they haven't had six wins before the ten game mark in what, twenty years? Is that what he, probably since that that nineteen ninety nine season? They haven't been better than six and four. So six and two, and then you've got the Browns, the Dolphins, the Broncos, all three winnable games. Maybe you'll lose to the Browns because the Browns are a pretty good team. The Broncos are not very good. The Dolphins are a mess. So at worst, you're at eight wins with the Cowboys, Ravens, Steelers, Patriots, and Jets as the final five games on the schedule. You're not winning all five of those games, but would it be crazy to think they win two against the Steelers and playing the Jets at home to get to 10? That's assuming they lose to the Browns, the Eagles, the Cowboys, the Ravens, and the Patriots twice, which 
like you said, those are games that eventually, if this team's going to be a legitimate championship contender, you'd like to have more of a shot in those games. And maybe they will. And I think that's where the excitement's obviously there for the home opener. I mean, 2-0 and with a realistic chance to go 3-0. and But I think the excitement is almost already building for that Patriots game. Uh, you know, clearly the Bills in the locker room, in the building, aren't overlooking the Bengals. I, I didn't get any sense of that today. And I don't think we'll get sense of that in any of these games all season long. But I get a sense in the community that the anticipation is as much for that Patriots game as it is for, you know, this Bengals game. This Bengals game feels like it could just be a continuation of the first few weeks an excuse to party, which Bills fans don't really need. And then that Patriots game will be when you really get a sense of, is this team for real? Because I don't think you learn a whole lot if the Bills win this game. You learn if they lose it. But the real chance to figure out exactly where they stack up comes in that New England game. And then I think if they lose that game, let's say they – Bills win Sunday against Cincinnati, 3-0, lose to the Patriots, and then go on a bit of a winning streak against some of those weaker teams. We still don't really know who this team is until the second half of the season. They could be 7-1, and one, and I'm not so sure we'd look at it like this is 1988 again and, and the Bills are one of the better teams in the league and on a roll to truly contending for a Super Bowl. I don't think you're going to get to that until they go to New England, uh, they play Baltimore. Pittsburgh's a little bit different, but – I wouldn't be so surprised if Pittsburgh is a competitive team even without these big stars. They don't have Antonio Brown, Ben Roethlisberger, and Le'Veon Bell anymore, but I still do think they have some good players and a good coach. All that aside, there's an argument that if the Bills win 10-11 games this season, even if they don't go very far in the playoffs, that's a stepping stone toward being a contender. As you mentioned, year four with Sean McDermott and kind of year four Brandon Bean. Year four, Brandon Bean, if not his fourth offseason. But I just don't know how that aligns with maybe a sputtering finish. How excited are you about a team that had a good record and had a quality season but didn't finish strong? What's more important? A lot of times you see teams, the Bills have been this team before, maybe they finish 8-8, eight and eight, but they looked good at the end, and that carries a lot of momentum into the offseason. We're already looking past this season into next offseason. Yes, we're – well past the Bengals at this point. <laughs> the Bills have already chalked up an easy 10 yeah, wins. Right. We've, we started the show with all this, you know, buyer beware about all the things that could go wrong for the Bills. Now we're just chalking them up for 10 or 11 wins. But it's an interesting, I think the schedule still sets up to their advantage because this is a team that has to kind of gel together. Look, if they had the Cowboys in week one, they'd be one and one. You know, they, they wouldn't have, playing the way they did against the Jets, they would have gotten handled by the Cowboys. If the Jets had a kicker, the Bills would be 1-1. One one. A lot of things that happened in that game they got away with because it was the Jets. And so that worked in their favor. The Giants, sort of the same thing. Not that the Bills played poorly. They played fairly well. But two relatively easy games, really a third one in the Bengals, and the Titans aren't an unbeatable team by any means. So a good chance to go 4-1, and one, but 
more importantly, a good chance for a, a team that has so many new pieces and some young players in key roles to kind of get their sea legs before that brutal stretch at the end of the year, which doesn't look as brutal as it did. The Broncos at home, by then Drew Locke might be in the lineup, uh, depending on how Joe Flacco does this season. You know, the Browns on the road I don't think looks as daunting as it did no. at the beginning of the season. Not to say it's a, an easy game by any means, but I don't think it's a you know an unwinnable game. Then, you know, the Cowboys and Ravens are good teams, but, you know, this team has been worse and beat good teams before. You know, they went out and beat Peyton Manning in Denver uh, in 2014. They've, they beat Aaron Rodgers that year. So uh, it, it wouldn't be crazy to think that they could pull that off, especially playing the Ravens at home. The Steelers don't look as scary as they did at the beginning of the year. So all of a sudden this looks like a really easy schedule, but it also speaks to how soft the AFC is in general. You know, they don't run into the two tough teams in the West. They don't run into, you know, the toughest team in the AFC South, arguably the two toughest, if you say the Colts. So that's where it sets up to be a good results year where, like you said, you look at it and wonder how much there is behind that and how good you feel about it if towards the end of the year they lose to the Cowboys, Ravens, Patriots, and and go 2-3 and three to finish the year before losing in the playoffs or something like that. But I don't think expectations have risen to the level of being disappointed in that. I think what it comes down to is if they, they feel good about the quarterback, then really the end result won't matter all that much. If they feel good about the quarterback and get to 10 wins, this town is going to be riding high heading into the offseason. That's true. Josh Allen's development and how he looks on the field and also statistically at the end of the season probably matters more than how many games they win and how this season plays out. It's more whether Josh Allen looks like a true franchise quarterback that can carry this franchise into future seasons. Because like you said, you know, they're not a championship contender right now. I think they mostly know that. Uh, they wouldn't admit it, of course. And I think these guys think, you know, anything can happen if you get into the get into the postseason. But realistically with, you know, some of the teams, with Brady still being Brady and the Patriots set up the way they are, with the Chiefs playing the way they are, it's tough to – envision a realistic scenario where this team runs off a a streak of wins and gets to the Super Bowl. Once you get in, anything can happen, but that's why you, you look at it in that context and say, all right, if they get to 10 wins, make the playoffs look competitive and don't look like one of the worst playoff teams ever as they did in 2017, then there's plenty of reason to feel good, especially if the quarterback provides some of the reason for that optimism. But it's all of a sudden set up to be a much different conversation about this team than it was even a few weeks ago, not knowing how all these pieces would come together. Because even though the Jets and Giants aren't marquee victories, what they are is you know, a difference in the sense that you go down to New Jersey and win two games you're supposed to win. And if they go three for three in those games to start the season by beating the Bengals, 
then that will be in and of itself a, a different feeling for Bills fans because the Bills don't always win games they're supposed to win. So uh, that part of it can be different as well. Uh, and who knows? A touchdown spread against the Patriots. This defense, is, if it's legit, should be able to find a way. But Tom Brady and, and Josh McDaniels have found a way to poke holes in this group the last couple of years. We're going to go to one more break. You're on the Tim Graham Show. Then we're going to be back with former co-hosts and now, what would we call them? Special guest, reluctant guest. Mike Rodak's going to call in from Alabama. Give us some updates on the Crimson Tide. And He's got how the day off from being a stay-at-home daddy. The Bills have not lost a game since Mike Rodak left the beat. I wonder how he feels about that. 6-0 and if you count the preseason. Which I do. Who wouldn't? First time the Bills ever went 4-0 in the preseason. So this is the first 6-0 counting the preseason record ever for the Bills. It's a we'll long be back. Winning streak. <laughs> Not necessarily if this is a Bills playoff team, but because I think you can make the playoffs without beating the Patriots, but where exactly they stand in terms of being a wild card competitor and being among the conference's elite teams? Yeah, I mean, they're going to have to keep up with the Patriots offensively, which they really haven't been able to do, even when they kept it close defensively on Monday night last year. I think the Patriots are pretty content to just run the ball 40 times and get out of there with, what, 25 points, whatever they scored. So, I mean you got to be able to play both sides of the ball with them. And their defense is the most underrated aspect about that team. Everybody can compare the, um, you know, the skill position players one by one, you know, Welker to Edelman and Randy Moss, to Antonio Brown, and compare them to the 2017, but their defense is, I mean, the real story. They haven't given up a touchdown since what the AC championship. Um, they've gone three games now, just completely, dominating their opponents going back to the Super Bowl against the Rams, which was, I think, an underrated defensive performance itself. So, you know, the Giants' defense is nothing special. The Jets, I mean, I think they lost a lot of guys later in that game when Mosley went down, Quentin Williams went down, a couple of Bama guys, um, and they look different. So as long as the Patriots stay healthy, I think it's a, a totally different story if, um, you know, if Josh Allen can do the same things against that defense. What do you think about, we were going over a scenario in the last segment where the Bills have a season where they, they win a lot of these early games against some of these weaker teams. They get to 10-11 wins. They make the playoffs. But they don't go very far in the playoffs. They sputter a bit at the end. Don't beat New England. Don't beat some of the better teams on their schedule. Do you look at that as a successful season, a sign of progress? Or you know, how would you view that hypothetical situation? I think it would be more of the same. I mean, I feel like we we would have seen that story before. Um, you know, there's been seasons where they start off with a, by playing exciting football and people will get, you know, their hopes up essentially. And by October or November, things kind of fall apart. I mean, that's happened time and time again, 2011 being the most prominent example. So I don't know if that's really a sign of progress if you're doing the same things that you've done during the, the dark years, the lean years. But, you know, would it save McDermott? job and Bean's job? Yeah, I think so. I think they get another year if that was the case. Even if they missed the playoffs, I think if you're you know, you're you're showing enough 
from the start of the season to make it seem like you can make a few tweaks in the offseason and keep it going and get better, I think they'd be fine. But, um, you know, they got to win some games. I think everybody looks at this roster as being much better than it was. And along with that comes the raised expectations. If you don't win at least eight or nine games, I think there's going to be a lot of disappointed fans. How often are Bills fans still in your mentions? Especially now that they're good. There are a few people who just won't stop. And not that I'm, you know, scrolling through my mentions at 2 o'clock in the morning, but maybe I am. You know, you see people who (laughs) just continue to mention you, and you're not even following them. They're not even following you. They just tend to tweet about you, which is fine. Great. Like, clearly I'm still, I'm in their thoughts and dreams and, and all that, so good for them. But, I mean... I don't really know who my Twitter base is these days. It's probably a whole mix of different people. I mean, it's probably people who are still just following me from when I was James Walker's account, the AFC East account for ESPN back, whatever it was, seven years ago now. I mean, people probably haven't even left. Too bad for them. You have a wide range of people following you, probably the smallest amount of which are wondering what you think about Alabama versus Southern Miss this weekend. But we're going to ask you anyways, what do you think about Alabama Southern Miss this weekend? I don't think anybody cares. I mean, I don't, don't have any sort of excitement. They just canceled practice yesterday or two days ago um, because, you know, it's Southern Miss. Why do we have to practice? Even in Nick Saban's world, I think there's exceptions, but – I mean, it's, if, if they don't win by four touchdowns, that's probably a disappointment. I mean, this is, though, an Alabama team that I don't think is nearly as unbeatable as they looked the last couple of years. So, you know, these games have been interesting. It's not like they've been start-to-finish blowouts, especially last week in South Carolina. That was a pretty contested game the first half, and then they pulled away in the second half. But, you know, one of the things with my new job is my email address is published on my stories, which had never been the case at ESPN, so nobody ever emailed me fan-wise, but I've been getting all these, you know, fan emails so far, and some of them are actually good. I mean, people are smart, and the thing is about Bama, I've noticed, like, fans have such high expectations that they don't mind people criticizing the team. It's almost like welcome. You know, if you're pumping up the team, then you're what Nick Saban calls rat poison. So people actually, I think, embrace criticism, and so there's one fan who wrote that they're like a Big 12 team, that they just passed the ball and that it set the school record for passing last weekend. Um, but they can't run the ball and they can't play defense, which is not anything like what Saban's teams were five or ten years ago. So, I mean, they're different. Uh, they're going to win games in a different way. But we'll see what happens when they play the big boys down the road, LSU and Auburn and maybe Georgia in the SEC title game. How has it been different for you moving from covering this Bills beat where, where you know, you weren't really embraced by all of your readers and moving down there and the new guy on the beat and what's it been like for you down at Alabama the first few weeks? Yeah, I think it's nice not having anybody know you. Like there was just a big group of donors or whatever that were at practice and they're waiting in the lobby with us before practice. It's like, you know, we wait in the hallway and nobody noticed me or – talk to me which I actually kind of like 
it's not like Bills fans in some cases will recognize you and want to strike up a conversation. And sometimes it's the last thing I feel like doing is talking football when, you know, I'm not actually writing football. But, um, you know, it's funny. I, I don't know how many times I've actually walked into a service in the South. It's probably been like four or five times that I haven't used to drive through. It's, you know, 98 degrees every day. Who the hell wants to get out of their car? But I think four out of the five times that I've walked in, they ask you your name, and I say Mike, and then they always say Blake. And I've gotten to the point where I just, like, accept it. Like, today. Like, oh, what, what, what's the name on your order? Mike. Oh, Blake? Sure. I don't know what it is. Like, apparently, I only say that there's no Mikes in the cell. Oh, they all just call themselves Michael. So it must not even be a thing. Everybody thinks I'm saying Blake. <laughs> That's my biggest pet peeve with the cell. I mean, you can play <laughs> that if you will, but so you but gonna it's Blake. Change your byline. It's, it's happened. I don't know. Maybe I should. Nobody knows what my name is. Apparently, or it's not a common name. But Blake is <laughs> Adam Blake. You know him, Adam Blake. Hey, I should come back and see him. Can I at least get in my other take that you asked me to promulgate on the air? Yeah, I, I just want to go on a rant. We only got a couple I'm minutes. But go on a rant. Because this whole thing with Josh Allen and the one New York team, I, I've had this rant on air before on this very show. I think it's the stupidest thing how Bills fans are obsessed with being the only team in New York. Like, I don't care. I don't understand why people care. I don't understand why it's a point of pride. And, like, if I really want to get technical and say that the Giants or the Jets should be the New, be the New Jersey Giants or Jets and not the New York ones – then why is it the Buffalo Bills? They don't play in Buffalo. They play in Orchard Park. It should be the Orchard Park Bills. And also, remember, what was it, four or five years ago, the Danny White at UB, mm-hmm. when they had that whole marketing campaign and they had the New York State logo on their basketball court and they changed all their uniforms to say New York instead of Buffalo? And fans hated that. It's like they didn't want to be known as New York. They want to be known as Buffalo, but... When it comes to the, the Giants and the Jets, teams that play six hours away in areas where nobody is a Bills fan, they want to be known as that team. It, I, I just don't get it. Like, I understand it. I understand the, the concept, but I don't understand why people care so much about that. And that's my rant. Well, it is an interesting contrast you pose. I, I think the main difference is, Bills fans saying we're the only New York team. It's the New Jersey Giants, New Jersey Jets. It makes Buffalo feel better than New York City. It, it kind of reverses that inferiority complex that Western New York, upstate New York might have compared to New York City. Whereas going the other way, when the University of Buffalo Athletics Department started emphasizing the New York aspect of their location, instead of the Buffalo, it made uh, – the university community and fans and people in Buffalo feel less than New York city as if we're hiding the fact that this university was on the other side of the state. So I think that's the difference, but it is kind of an interesting contrast that, you know, it's okay to be New York's team when it makes you feel good, but it's not cool to be New York's team when maybe it doesn't make you feel as good about it. Just let me know when they're the orchard park bills. That's all I want to know. Yeah, I think it's a corny, uh, a bit of a corny thing. I do, too. Do. I do I think, think Josh Allen picking up on it was kind of smart and savvy of him, but I, I roll my eyes at really anybody that makes this stupid point about it shows a lack of understanding of New York City and what that right. area of New Jersey means and that 
metropolis. Right. I mean, you go across a bridge from Manhattan to New Jersey, or you go across another bridge from Manhattan into Long Island, and you're still six, seven hours away from Buffalo. And like I said, very few people care about the bills down there. That's fine. Like, that's just how it is. You go into Pennsylvania, Erie, Pennsylvania probably cares a lot more about the bills. So you don't have to make state lines and, and draw them in, in Sharpie and, and protect them like, you know, it's Game of Thrones. It's it's just bizarre, man. I don't get it. Blake Rodak. Strong take. Bringing his strong takes. His contrarian point of view as he's want to do. Tell the show. Great to hear your voice. Yeah, let's oh, do this wonderful. more often, Mike. Even when Tim Graham's here. Well, is this the only reason you came on today? Because Tim Graham isn't on the show? No, I just wanted to give my take about UB in New York and all that. But... Yeah, have me on more. All right, thanks for joining us, Mike. We'll give you a ring. We're going to wrap this up. Tim Graham Show for Jonah Bronstein, Matthew Fairburn, Bobby Rosati, Mike Rodak, Joe Yurden, Trent Murphy, Joel Staniszewski, CTBK on Twitter at CTBK45. Oh, yeah, you're right. Finally got it right. We're out.